The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Uh, and uh, my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Chen will not be accepting new subscribers now until the first 10 days of 2013. If you would like to subscribe to his letter, you need to go to miningstocks.com. That's www.miningstocks.com to put your name on a waiting list. And the number of new subscribers accepted by Chen will depend on the uh, runoff of existing subscribers he is keeping uh, his subscriber list at a uh, at a limited number uh, for the time being. So if you're interested, it's better that you uh, go there, uh, put your name on the list now because uh, those that will be selected will be on a first come first base uh, uh, first serve basis. So go to miningstocks.com sooner rather than later if you're interested in signing up for Chen Lin uh, to put your name on the waiting list. You do not have to be placed on a waiting list, however, to subscribe to my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks which I have been publishing since 1981. Uh, you can sign up for that letter also at miningstocks.com or you can uh, call my assistant during the normal business hours uh, in New York, Claudio Bossi. Uh, he can be reached at 718-457-1426. 718-457-1426, and that's uh, Monday through Friday uh, between about 9 and 4.30. I should like to remind you that the best place to gain access to this radio show as well as a whole host of other things that I do is at jtaylormedia.com jtaylormedia.com before we go any further I do want to mention our sponsors uh, for making this show economically viable uh, the sponsors for today's show are Airway Energy, Aravista Gold Blue Sky Uranium, Bravada Gold uh, Brazil Resources Dynacor Gold Mining or Dynacor Gold Mines Eurasian Minerals, Millrock Resources, Northern Free Gold and Riverside Resources 
Uh, I would like to just mention a couple of noteworthy uh, announcements that have been made by a couple of our sponsors. Airway Energy, uh, which is trading down a couple of cents today at 48 cents, uh, did announce that they had just picked up 265 barrels a day, an acquisition they made at a bargain basement price, I might add. Uh, very, very impressive, and this is part of what this company will uh, will be relying on to get it to its exit uh, calendar year, 1,300 barrels a day in production. A small little company, but growing very rapidly. Nice, good, solid cash flows. By the way, it's purchasing uh, this production uh, from uh, with a uh, about 2.6 or 2.7 million dollar bank uh, from its bank line that it has available. And I believe the payout will be fairly quickly uh, will be fairly fairly quick for this uh, for this acquisition uh, in, uh, in in Canada. Dynacor um, is really certainly one of my favorite stock picks, uh, doing extremely well. Just announced eight cents uh, of, of per share earnings for the. Uh, for the third quarter, this is a record earning, but I expect that Dynacor will continue to grow its its gold production and its earnings. And the big kicker here is the potential for a major discovery uh, on the on a Scarn Porphyry uh, target in Peru uh, that is surrounded by other major mining companies. Uh, and the thing I've always liked about Dynacor is its ability to grow organically, to uh, take its cash flow and uh, and uh, finance its exploration. To the extent it does explore, it has a gigantic target. It also has some of its own uh, gold projects. It's got uh, six or 800,000 ounces of uh, not 43101, but historical resource uh, that it has not yet started to mine as well. So this is a company with only 35.8 million shares, $1.14, uh, selling maybe at two and a half times earnings right now and growing very rapidly. So I like that one a lot. As I uh, also like Eurasian Minerals, and they came out with some very nice uh, assays again from Turkey. I wrote extensively in my last newsletter about this company and its uh, operations in Turkey. It looks to me like that's where Eurasian Minerals, this project generator, could come up with its first major hit. Uh, so Eurasian Minerals at uh, $2.17, also off today in a tough market today. It's got a market cap of about $156 million as well. Interestingly enough, all of the uh, sponsors on uh, to this radio show right now uh, happen to be recommendations in my newsletter. It's not always the case, but it's, that's the way it is uh, for this season. And uh, Northern Free Gold is another company that I mentioned as a sponsor. Uh, interestingly enough, I see that a colleague of mine, uh, well, actually, the Doug Casey's International Speculator has recently come out with a recommendation as well. That stock is at 13 cents today, off a little bit as well. 126 million shares, $16 million market cap. Uh, and Riverside Resources has also been recommended by another uh, colleague or a, a competitor of mine, Lawrence Ralston, uh, who is suggesting people should buy this project generator. And we are going to be talking to Dr. John Mark Stoudy in a little while, the president of that company, and he'll be telling us, uh, updating us on what is going on there. Uh, a lot of uh, his several really strategic partners that are working with them. And uh, the project generator model, I still think, is the best model for a, a very very risky business in terms of the risk-reward trade-off. I think the project generator models are probably the best way to go. Well, we've just had our presidential election, and as I've been stating uh, in this on this radio show, I don't think it may, is going to make a whole lot of difference which guy was to win. I'm sure some of you will disagree with that, and certainly there are passionate issues on both sides 
uh, and I, you know, would have my favorite of the two. But honestly, in terms of the uh, the outcome of this election, I think the major biggest problems are not being uh, are not being addressed by either party. And my main guest today, Dominic Frisbee, who I think uh, I think really summarizes the problems that we face in a humorous way. He is a comedian, after all. Uh, he's pro- uh, has produced a video in which he plays the role of the president of the United States making the State of the Union address with two sexy blonde strippers at either side of him. It really tells a story about how policymakers are really oblivious, I think, to the cause of our problems, the real cause of our problems, and how they, in essence, are ignoring them and partying on as if nothing was, nothing was happening. Dominic Frisbee, uh, as I say, is a comedian, and he's a television personality in Britain. He will be my main guest today. But I'm going to ask Matt right now to play uh, the lyrics from that video. Uh, Matt, could you go ahead and play that debt bomb video right now? cars consume a shite government spending all through the night pensions and health care and welfare rights education wars to fight Ooh, I love a good water fight. run up a deficit ignore the facts blame someone else put up tax, tax. I can't deny we had a crack but now we gotta pay it back You know what you are You're Dead a- bomb, dead bomb You're a dead bomb uh-huh. The addiction to credit just goes on and on Dead me. bomb, dead bomb You're a dead bomb A bailout, do you turn me on? You know what you're doing to me, don't you? <laughs> I know you do If you can't afford it, don't be Anyway, you've got voters to appease. Take the prudent savers and just give them a squeeze. Ow. That's the economics of keys. One more time. Quantitative easing, zero interest rates. Steal from the future, hide the bad mistakes. We gotta keep those asset prices high. Don't matter if the credit's dry. <laughs> dead bomb, dead bomb. You're a dead bomb. Try to pay the debt off with inflation. Debt bomb, debt bomb. Yeah. You're a debt bomb. Now investment, ooh, you turn me on. <laughs> a boom caused by excess credit will always bust. Yeah. You've then got two choices decide you must. Abandon the addiction, the credit lust. Or the currency collapses, it just turns to worthless dust. Yeah. Debt bomb, debt bomb. You're a debt Country's money, anything to carry on. Dead bomb, dead bomb. You're a dead bomb. Bubbles, ooh, you turn me on. <laughs> oh, I love that.
Well, there you have it. Uh, run up the deficit, ignore the facts, let someone else pay the tax. That I thought was uh, one of the more revealing parts of the, the lyrics to that song. That is the philosophy that we've had for generations, it seems. Let someone else pay. Don't worry. You don't have to work hard. Uh, you don't have to save your money. You don't have to save for a rainy day. Someone else, namely the government, will take care of you. Well, I think that's what's been going on for a long time. Policymakers may be living in a bubble. I think they are for sure. I think that's what Dominic's video sort of uh, lays out. If you, and especially if you see the video, and I would encourage you to Google Dominic Frisbee uh, debt bomb, and you'll get it uh, be able to come right up with it. But the the main thing is um, there are limits to these debts, and I think that's what gold is telling us. There's limits to the uh, to to how far this thing can be pushed. Uh, and gold is rising very dramatically, and I think it's a very small number of people yet that really understand uh, that gold is money, and people are still convinced because the policymakers and the uh, propaganda machinery has people continuing to believe in uh, Mr. Bernanke and his ability to pull rabbits out of hats, uh, but in fact there is a growing number of people around the world, uh, starting mostly, I think, with major uh, central banks uh, outside of the Western world primarily, uh, who are very convinced that, in fact, uh, you've got to have gold as money. And, uh, and some very large investors as well uh, that, are, that are buying gold. And, of course, there are a lot of smaller investors, but it's a tiny minority of people who are really interested and believe that gold is essential. So, uh, but the evidence that, that there is a growing recognition that the fiat money systems days are numbered, I think, is based on this rising value of gold relative to the Rogers Raw Materials Fund. And from 17% in July of 2008 to 47% now, I think it's telling a story. The gold mining profits are doing very well. Gold mining companies are doing very well. And, of course, this program is about helping you do very well to try to find ways to help you. We are going to be talking to Dr. John Mark Stoudy in just a couple of minutes. As soon as we go to break here in about 30 seconds, Dr. Uh, Dr. Stoudy will be with us to talk about Riverside Resources and how he's building wealth for his shareholders there. And then in the second hour, after we listen to Dominic Frisbee, we're going to talk to Joseph Kizis. He's the president of Bravada Gold. Bravada is a company with a project in Nevada, a former gold producer that I think uh, is extremely undervalued right now. Probably, I think this company is selling at a fourth to a fifth its intrinsic value in that property alone, uh, and especially now that it has a joint venture partner to come in and uh, very possibly put that into production. Uh, so I think there's there's lots of things to look forward to. There's lots of ways uh, and opportunities that are going to be uh, available to us from the problems that are arising in the global economy, and that's what we're going to try to uh, to bring make you aware of on this show. Uh, we do have to go to break now, and when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking to Dr. John Mark Stoudy. Don't go away. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. 
Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. Blue Sky Uranium is a leading pioneer in the exploration for uranium in the Patagonia region of Argentina. Their exploration success has attracted one of the world's largest monthly national nuclear power companies to fully fund Blue Sky's exploration programs. Argentina is very focused on nuclear to provide for their energy needs, yet they do not currently produce the required uranium to feed the reactors. Blue Sky has opened up a new frontier for exploration for uranium in Argentina with an objective of supplying both domestic and international markets. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again John Mark Stoudy. Dr. Stoudy is the president uh, of Riverside Resources, and this is a stock you can buy uh, in Canada under the symbol RRI. Uh, you can buy it in the United States, as I have, under the symbol RVSDF. Uh, they're selling earlier today, at least when I checked it out, was selling about 74 cents. There's only 35.2 million shares a stock outstanding. So if my uh, if my fingers went to the right spots on the calculator, it's 27.6 million or thereabouts in market cap. It is a recommendation in this newsletter. As I mentioned, I do own it in my own uh, retirement portfolio, and uh, they are a sponsor. Riverside is a sponsor of this show. Welcome, John. Uh, John Mark, it's really good to have you back. Thank you, Jay. It's wonderful to be back on your show. Uh, always good to talk to you. Um, the number, the number one problem, it seems to me, and this is a very difficult time. I think you'd agree in the junior exploration sector. There's, I don't know how many companies are selling under ten cents. They're running out of cash. Uh, lots of companies having a lot of difficulty raising capital for whatever reasons in the junior sector. Uh, how are you guys faring? Riverside's faring very well. We're lucky in that we have over seven million dollars in cash. We've been able to keep that cash due to our business approach, which we call the prospect generator business model. So although we have our partners spending money drilling up our projects and doing exploration, Riverside still has a good, strong trash cash treasury. 
Yeah, and it, it's my understanding a lot of times you actually uh, can show positive cash flows in a given quarter even though you're not in production. You have uh, arrangements with various uh, companies that come in and join venture and they pay you something for an option or whatever to uh, to do the work. And you also do some of the work on behalf of some of these joint venture operations as well and get paid for it, right? That's correct. We we sure do that. The the, the times of us making uh, nice profits aren't right now. It's a tough market for everyone, and so we're mm-hmm. hanging in there, doing well, but we're not uh, uh, singing large amounts of of large free income. But we are making money because we do the technical exploration work on our own properties with our partners, where they have a chance to earn into them. And we do the work. So that helps us to keep the money. Plus, we do the exploration work for other major companies, not as consultants, but all around us having an interest, including a royalty in the properties that we work on. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's really good. And I, you have also established some really large companies or some alliance partnerships. Would you care to talk about a couple of those? I'd like to, Joey. And one of them is called Antifagasta. They're a very large Chilean copper producer, and they're very big in the copper business, and they've chosen Riverside to be their copper exploration company for Western Canada. So we work with them in British Columbia, drilling and exploring for copper. You'll see if you check our website, you'll see the news releases for the progress we've been doing with them. We're also doing iron, copper, and gold for Cliffs Natural Resources. They're formerly called Cleveland Cliffs out of Cleveland, Ohio, a giant iron ore company that looked to diversify into Mexico. So us, with our experience and knowledge in Mexico, we do the technical work, the exploration for them, with them funding it in Mexico. So with those two giant partners, we can do a lot of exploration without hitting our treasury. And they are looking for big projects, no doubt. Big companies like that aren't looking for small projects. What what do you think these companies are looking for? And, and maybe I'll ask you also, uh, the Antifagasta uh, company did some work up there, uh, did uh, finance some, some drilling up there in British Columbia. How did that come out this year? Exactly. These companies for Cliffs and Antifagasta are giant companies, and they're looking for billions and multi-billion dollar scale deposits and projects. So for us, at a market cap of only 25 or 27 million, as you mentioned, for us, the impact of owning a minority, but a substantial portion in these joint venture programs, we have 30 or 35 percent after the partners have earned into these projects. We have a very nice piece of giant projects. The drilling that Antifagasta did was able to drill into a very large copper system. And we're very excited to have had over 90 holes drilled this summer in the, in the exploration work that was going on in British Columbia. And what they're looking for is for another replacement copper asset. They have giant copper deposits, some of the larger ones on the planet, and they're looking for replacements. So we're looking for big copper assets with the majors funding the work. Mm-hmm. And uh, what? So, have you put out some drill results from this summer, uh, from this work uh, up in British Columbia so far? We put not put out any drill results yet, but we're working on that. In fact, we'll be having a meeting with them coming up next week to go over the uh, the data, and and then we'll be able to put out a, a news result here coming out in the in the near future. We were able to put out some of the uh, announcements of the initiation of drilling and some of the scales of what we were drilling and things like that. Also on our website, we've put out pictures of the drilling and things like that. We're waiting to get back to final check assays and get verification from our partners, Antifagasta, that we can put out the news, and then we'll do that. 
Yeah. So uh, I guess this is a year-by-year thing. These companies will typically come into a project and decide to stay or not, depending on the results. And so will you know, is Antifagasta uh, perhaps committed to a longer period? What is the arrangement with Antifagasta? And also maybe you could comment on on the Cliffs uh, company as well. They're both actually much longer than year-to-year. So it turns Uh out there's two parts to the agreements. One is a generative alliance where they fund three-quarters of a million dollars in the case of of Cliffs or in Antipagasta, $600,000 each year for three or more years to do generative work. And so that's going on. And then we have individual projects. On each individual project, there's a million dollars to be spent in each year. That's in addition to the generative money. So we have two projects going with Antifagasta. We have a number of them going with Cliffs down in Mexico as well. And so each of those are a much larger expenditure around an individual asset. Currently, that individual asset, say in British Columbia, the flute project, we do the drilling and the work on it. Then we'll see after this year if they continue with the program for another year. If they don't, we get the property back 100% all of the data, all of the work, that project comes back to Riverside, and we can move it ahead with another partner. What we've been able to do is we've been able to build from one property five years ago now to a portfolio of over 24 properties, each of them where we can potentially own the, the royalty stream behind it, each of the properties which we own the properties, but where we've had partners be able to fund the exploration work and de-risk the assets of the Riverside portfolio. Yeah, that's that's the beauty of this. You've got all those projects, and all you need is one of those things to come in. You know, I think the the prospect generator or project generator models tend to be a bit boring sometimes, John Mark, until you hit something. And then all of a sudden, holy cow, they can go like crazy because you don't have that much of a market cap. Uh, and, you know, it's sort of... Uh, and so it's hard to say people, I think you, you just need to own some of these kinds of shares and wait for your payday. You don't know when it's going to come, though, do you? That's the issue. Well, you do know what you don't know, but the thing is with drill results and exploration results coming out fairly consistently, you do have to know that there is work going on at them. So many companies right now don't have the ability to give news, don't have work going on. This year alone, we have almost $10 million of exploration expenditure going on on the Riverside properties, and yet we're not diluting our property ourselves. We're not diluting our own own treasury. So we've been able to get at least $7 for every $1 we've invested Seven dollars of partner money invested in the properties. So we hope this is the year for the big discovery, and we keep pushing ahead toward that. Is Cliffs uh, Cliffs doing some work? Will there be some drill results coming out from their ongoing targets? They're looking for iron oxide, copper, gold targets, aren't they? Exactly, and those are the giant deposits. Some of the major other companies, for example, BHP and Freeport operate these large iron oxide copper gold type of deposits and so Freeport has been able to do that so well we're excited by helping Cliffs get into such a big business so yes we will have drill results from Mexico we've been currently working on uh, getting in tomorrow we actually have meetings with them in Vancouver to go through the drill targets and we have the drill permits now and we have all the different steps we need so now we're just getting clear with the funding from Cliffs in their budget cycle to go and start the drilling work. So we're all ready to go with drilling in Mexico, and we're very excited to be uh, looking for another iron oxide, copper, gold, hopefully a big discovery. That would be wonderful for Riverside shareholders.
you know, those are two alliance partnerships. You have some smaller partners as well. Uh, and uh, there's uh, a Pinolas project I know that was very interesting. What's, uh, can you tell us anything about that one? Love to. It's a very exciting. The Pinolas comes, is actually named after uh, a village, the village of where one of the major, minor, major mining companies of Mexico grew up and was developed of Pen, in Pinolas in Durango. Riverside owns a very large land package there, and we have a partner, Sierra Madre, who is now drilling up and developing a resource for an open pit oxide heat leach style gold deposit and we're very excited to be the owner of that project with Sierra Madre working to earn their interest. They have to spend another $750,000 in the ground over the next couple of months here. If they don't quite make all those arrangements, the property comes back to us. We hope they do. We like to see us work together with a partner, but in these tough times, if the partner can't make it all the way through, then Riverside gets the property back. Now it's been much further advanced when we farmed out that property. It only had five holes. Now we have over 35 holes into it. We've now done quite a bit of other exploration work, have now developed a model of an open pit. We're very excited by that project that Riverside still owns 100%. Oh, there's so much more. I see my engineer tells me we only have a minute to, to go yet. I want to ask you about the Tejitas Gold Project. That looks interesting. I see in reading about it, it looks as though it's, it's similar mineralization to uh, the Timmins Gold San Francisco mine. Could you take a, a few seconds just to talk to us about uh, the Tejitas Project? Yeah, so Riverside is focused on owning gold assets. The Tejitos is right next to six of the major gold mines in western Mexico. Riverside owns it 100%. We own gold. We have key assets near mines. We're very well located. And Tajitos is a good chance for an open pit oxide gold, very much like what Timmins and uh, Argonaut and other people have in the belt. It's really exciting, John Mark. Tell our listeners uh, your website so they can follow your progress. It's www.rivres.com. Riverez.com. Riverez, R-I-V-E-R-S.com. Excellent. Very good, John Mark. I have so much more uh, wanted to ask you. Uh, we'll get you another time sometime in the near future. Thank you so much for being with us. folks. Thank you, and look forward to seeing you in San Francisco. Yeah, I'll see you there. Uh, folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Dominic Frisbee. Uh, you won't want to miss what this guy has to say about uh, the gold markets and uh, what you need to do to protect yourself. And I have an idea he would think you also ought to take a look at Riverside. Don't go away. We'll be right back with, uh, with Dominic Frisbee. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. 
I've recently recommended Northern Free Gold to my subscribers because its nearly 6 million gold equivalent ounce resource can lead to a major rise in its share price. The company's Yukon project is in a politically safe jurisdiction, far from population centers, and it is advantaged with road access and nearby electricity. A large deposit and a vision of positive economics should make Northern Free Gold an acquisition target. The potential upside in my view for these shares is major. Our Vista Gold Corporation's principal asset is the Dewey Project, which currently has a 43101 compliant resource of approximately 3 million ounces of gold and is considered to be one of the last undeveloped, low-grade, bulk tonnage potential super pits in Quebec. The Dewey Project has significant potential to further grow the resource by both step-out drilling as well as further infill drilling within the existing porphyry. Our Vista has a well-designed, extensive 35,000-meter 100-hole drill program planned for Q4 2012, with results expected in early 2013 and an updated resource estimate to follow. Arvista Gold trades on the TSXV under the symbol AVA. For further details, please visit www.arvistagold.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Dominic Frisby. Dominic Frisby writes for Money Week uh, on gold and commodities, and uh, he's also a private investor. He focuses on junior mining companies, and he is the presenter and producer of Frisby's Bulls and Bears. It's an Internet radio show in which he discusses financial and economic matters with leading lights of, of, uh, of the hard money sector. He is also one of the U.K.'s leading voiceover artists, uh, a TV presenter, and a stand-up comedian. Dominic also co-wrote and narrated the acclaimed documentary about the global financial crisis, The Four Horsemen. He is, uh, he is the producer. He also produces, uh, he is in the process, I should say, of publishing the book Life After the State, the culmination of seven years of study about the nature of money and its link to liberty, honesty, and efficiency. And you can follow him at Twitter, um, on Twitter at um, Dominic Frisbee. That's his handle, Dominic Frisbee. Welcome, Do- welcome uh, Dominic. It's really good to have you with us again. Thanks very much, Jay. It's a pleasure to be back. Really great, and I want to thank you again for, for jumping through hoops uh, to do the last interview. You actually uh, remarkably were able to talk to us from uh, your, uh, your computer in your car. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, the first, yeah. That's, that's the first for our show. Well, I mean, it, it just makes you realize what is possible with modern technology. But the idea that I could be speaking in, into a, a laptop computer, talking to, new, to you in New York, by jumping into somebody else's wireless internet signal, but you know, parked in a car outside their house. I mean, it's just incredible, really. 
It is, it is incredible, and it was incredibly clear. Uh, the, the quality of the sound was, was remarkably good for that, uh, given that circumstance. But anyway, yeah. uh, speaking of technology, uh, you know, we have YouTube, we have uh, the Internet now, we have, you know, communication that really makes it possible for, uh, for all kinds of ideas to be put out there, even though the mainstream may not like them. And for sure, one of the ideas that you have brought to light, I think, using your fame as a comedian and as an entertainer in the U.K., uh, a wonderful video that I'd like to suggest to all our listeners they take a look at, and that is called The Debt Bomb. And this is, uh, this is a video that you did with uh, as, uh, acting as the President of the United States giving the State of the Union message with two beautiful, tall, blondes, strippers, actually, next to you. Uh, <laughs> Burlesque and, and, strippers, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was fabulous. I mean, it's, uh, they, they didn't go too far, of course, in this whole exercise of stripping, but, uh, but it, it really made the point um, that, you know, the Western world is in big trouble, and yet we just keep on living as if we have no problems. We just don't worry, be happy. Let's just keep on partying. Um, and I, I think this, I, I first saw this video, I think it was my good friend Jeff Dice, Ron Paul's chief of staff, who brought it to my attention, sent me the link for it, and I saw it some time ago. But what kind of feedback have you gotten from this excellent video, Dominic, and, and how many hits has, has it gotten? Well, um, I've had very nice feedback from it, but I, I'm just going to, just by, uh, I'm just, as I talk to you, Jay, I'm just getting it up on YouTube, um, and uh, I'm going to tell you, because that's, you know, because people are always going to be polite to me, but what they actually say on YouTube uh, is a different matter. It's had nearly 300,000 hits. It had, it's had 276,000 hits. And of those 276,000 hits, I'm trying to find how many people have... It's had 1,585 likes and 48 dislikes. So I, I suppose that's a pretty good like-to-dislike ratio. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, and I would imagine uh, it would be interesting to know who those are that dislike it. <laughs> well, a few people, a few people were upset because they said, I mean, basically, I, I, I took a, um, a State of the Union address from Obama last year, or actually it was, it was earlier this year, and using what's called green screen technology, where you give your performance in front of a, a green screen and then you can put a different background on it, um, I, we basically cut all Obama's uh, moments from the speech and did it as though I was singing this song and then cut to the reactions that Obama had had. So it looks like I'm giving this. So we see um, Geithner's reaction. We see Hillary Clinton's reaction. We see Michelle Obama's reaction. Yeah. And But while I'm doing this um, song about the, the, the great financial crisis, I had um, these two, as, as, as I said, burlesque strippers in the background who you don't see everything, but they're, they're gradually stripping off their clothes. And at the end of it, all that they have covering themselves is two tiny little bits of gold. And uh, the idea is that when you strip everything bare, all that's left is gold. And um, so that was the kind of symbolism of it. But a couple of people were quite angry because they said, this is too rude for me to show my kids. And so I think some of the dislikes might have come because of that. I mean, it is a little bit rude. But I I've shown it to my kids, and they, they didn't seem to have an issue with it. But, you know, and kids are normally a bit more um, prudish than adults, I've found. It, they kind of instinctively are. Not, not prudish, but just they have more delicate sensibilities. Um, but the, the um, so I think something, and then, you know, whenever the, uh, the issue of sound money comes up and people start arguing about inflation and monetary crisis, there's always huge rows on the Internet. And um, so maybe some of the people, you know, didn't agree with my 
um, with my views. I mean, one of my mother's close friends, I think I said this to you before, is a, is a, is a, is a very keen Democrat. And uh, she was terribly upset by the video. She kind of went, yes, it's very good, and, and the lyrics are good, and you perform it very well, but it's, it's anti-Obama. And I was kind of saying to her, well, it's not specifically anti-Obama. It's anti pretty much, I mean, my opinion, there wasn't actually that much difference between Romney and Obama uh, um, at the end of the day. I mean, there's a couple of small details, but, but you know, so she was quite upset by it. So maybe she was one of the, one of the 48 dislikes. We'll, we'll see. Oh. <laughs> well, it certainly is a good uh, like-dislike ratio, no doubt about that, Dominic. And I think more yeah. importantly, uh, I, you know, it's actually good that some people dislike it because you're probably hitting some raw nerves, and uh, and that's yeah, uh, and that's necessary. But I thought that you did it in a humorous way. I mean, you presented a a very serious topic in a humorous way. We talked a little bit last time you and I spoke about you know how you came to be interested in this topic as a comedian, as an entertainer. It's very rare yeah. to the people. Most of the people in the entertainment world tend to be on the left side, and they like more government. They think government is the answer, not the problem. And I'm wondering, uh, I, I think in a video that I saw a speech you made, you had referred to my good friend James Turk uh, as someone who might have possibly had something to do with your uh, coming to light with respect. Well, he, 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 he was a big, big influence on me. I, I don't know quite how I came across it, but his book, mm-hmm. at the time it was called The Coming Collapse of the Dollar, and I read it in, I guess, about 2005. And... Uh, you know, James, in my opinion, is is prescient, and uh, you know he's seen a lot of this coming. One of the things he said in that book is you should start shorting financial stocks. And you know, I mean, apart from being pro gold, the idea of shorting financial stocks in 2005, 2006. I mean, that was one of the trades of the decade. And um, you know, so um, you know, I, I and but what James has is this ability to put ideas uh, into a into a language that everyday people can understand and um, and you know he makes it he puts it so clearly and it's something I've always worked on in my writing as well and people think because you put something clearly and simply the more the easier it is to read often the more work has gone into it and because um, it takes a, it takes a great deal of effort to put the language of economics into a language that you know ordinary Joes can can follow I agree. Uh, that said, however, I also believe that economics isn't nearly as complicated as the econometricians and the Keynesian. Well, that's, that's another, I mean, that's another issue altogether. And sometimes, you know, that, I think often complex language is disguised to use to, is used to disguise the fact that, that you know, it, it's designed to make you seem cleverer than you are. And if you can't follow what I'm saying, it's not because I can't express it clearly, it's because you're stupid. Indeed, uh, that, that's that's uh, that's uh, the way they hide, sort of. I think what's going on, and, and keep people yeah. disinterested in these issues that are so that are so so yeah. important. Well, well, what about uh, the shorting of the financials were the trade of the decade? What about now, Dominic? How are you feeling about the financials at this point in time? Well, I kind of, uh, to be honest, I wouldn't uh, recommend a trade either way because I, I I'm, I'm a terrible chartist. I'm a bit lazy and. Um, but you know, so I, I tend to just get up, get up charts. And I'm pretty good at reading charts and, and you know, guessing which way the market's going to go on the basis of of what a stock's been doing. Um, but so I, I haven't, I, I just haven't been following it. I, I've kind of almost, uh, I, I almost don't want to follow. I don't want to have anything to do with it. I mean, I, I don't like the financial system as it currently yeah. operates. I don't like banks. I don't like the system of money. I think it benefits the few at the expense of the many, and uh, so I just don't even want to waste any of my time following their stocks and trading them, if that makes sense. I mean, that's probably not a very good attitude, but but um, 
So I, I don't have an opinion on, on financial stocks at the moment, except actually, it might be, actually, in my view, it might be a pretty good attitude because if you try to play those, uh, you know, the financial stocks, they are so heavily manipulated. That's where those guys get bailed out, and uh, and so about the time you think the bottom should be falling out of these things, uh, yeah. it comes another trillion dollars to bail the, to bail the friends of the of the um, uh, of the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England out, I suppose. So yeah, yeah you probably that that's probably a, a good a good advice is uh, is be very very cautious if you're going to try to short those things because of that. Well, you know, in a speech that you made back in uh, January, I think of, of this year uh, in London, you you walked there your audience through the evolution of money uh you know starts out as commodity money could you just tell our listeners a little bit like about that commodity money then i think representative money well if you look at the history of money there's kind of four broad phases to it the first phase being uh um commodity money and uh, obviously the most successful of the commodity monies was metals uh copper and nickel silver and gold but you know, different sorts of commodities have all been used at various stages, things like shells and feathers and whale's teeth and all these various things have been used. Um, but, you know, even in, in olden times when there were, when commodity money was, the, was used, there were kind of fiat systems within commodity money. So a government would say, you know, this much iron is worth this much money. You know, an iron coin is worth this much money. And often the value of the coin would, would be more than the iron content. But nevertheless, broadly speaking, the first phase of money was commodity money. And then as people began to store their gold um, and you start using paper that represented gold, the, the system gradually moved from uh, commodity to representative. And uh, that's, you know, that's when you've got your dollar, that is exchange, your dollar bill that is exchangeable to gold at a fixed rate. And then from... Um, the, the, the next phase from representative um, is, is where we are now, where we have what's called a debt-based fiat currency, mm. where there's nothing actually tangible backing the money. It's just the issuance of government, and it is the law that we have to use this money. And, uh, and so that, those are the kind of, I suppose, the three phases of, of, of the three broad phases of, of the evolution of money. Right. Well, the last time we talked, I, I got the impression, uh, and I think that I'm certainly in agreement with you, but the, I, I got your impression that you're more concerned about this issue of fractional reserve banking than you are uh, what backs the money, in, in a sense. Would you care to comment on that? Uh, yes. Um, the problem I have with this current system of money is because it's not backed by anything tangible, um, there is no limit to how much can be created. Now, I think something like, I don't know what the number is, 2 or 3% of the money in circulation is, is, is created by governments physically printing it. Uh, and the other 97% gets created through um, the issuance of debt. And um, we, banks operate under this system of what's called fractional reserve banking, whereby, uh, as opposed to full reserve banking, where... In full reserve banking, you can only lend out as much money as you have on deposit. In other words, if you have £10, you can lend £10. Mm -hmm. Whereas mm -hmm. fractional reserve banking, you only need hold on deposit a fraction of the uh, um, amount of money that you lend out. And, and if you don't hold that fraction, you can often, often what some banks do is they then go and borrow the money um, 
in what's called the interbank market. And uh, it just means that uh, more and more money gets created. And you know, every time money gets created, I think suddenly like 97% of money is created through uh, this kind of fractional reserve system of banking. Uh, um, I mean, you know, there's so many different experts come out with different numbers. But the yeah. point is, um, those, uh, Bill Bonner, the author, equates it to a soup kitchen. And the people that are closest to the soup kitchen get the most food. And the people that are away from the soup kitchen get the least. And the same works with the money creation process. Those, you know, if a bank creates um, £10 and lends it against a house or something, um, you know, the, the people closest to that are obviously the people that, that borrow the money to buy the house. But it's also the bank people in the bank, somebody gets a commission, the real estate agent gets a bit of commission, all these people are closest to the issuance of that new money. And over a period of time, people who are at, the, at or near the creation of new money benefit at the expense of those who are furthest away from it. Yeah, there's, a, there's that redistribution of wealth as, aspect that's taking place. There's no doubt about that. Um, you, you said in a speech, in that same speech that I'm referring to back in January of this year, that uh, you think that we've reached a peak in debt. Uh, can you explain why you think that's true? And, and if banks can continue to do this fractional reserve banking, why is there a limit to the amount they can create? Well, there's all sorts of... I mean, I'm not sure if I was right about that peak debt, but it's a nice idea. I like the idea of... Um, you know, we hear a lot of talk about peak oil, and so I just put that notion and, and created this idea of peak debt. But, I mean, peak debt is reached when you can no longer afford to service the interest costs on that debt. But what has happened, of course, uh, since I wrote that speech is, is we've got these interest rates that are manipulated lower, so the, services, the debt servicing costs have fallen, which means it is actually possible for debt to continue to grow. Um, so perhaps we haven't reached peak debt, and in fact, you know, it, it's an idea, um, but, you, you know, I mean, I, I, it, it baffles me how governments can carry on borrowing more and more money, and yet they can, and I don't know when the whole thing goes pop and interest rates suddenly could start rising, but when they do, that's, that's the kind of, that will be the point of peak debt. Yeah, in fact, uh, it leads me to an article that you've recently written, I think, uh, uh, in the, um, uh, you've also published, uh, you also write for a, a publication, I think it's the UK's largest uh, financial publication, um, the name of it. I write for, for money, yeah, and they, they send out a day for Money Morning. Yeah, and in fact, uh, oh, Money Week, it's the Money Week article that I saw. In fact, I just signed up for a subscription myself because I wanted to read more of what you had to say, and they wouldn't give me everything free, Dominic, so I had to I had to sign up. Can you imagine that? Well, Taylor, pay for what you, uh, pay for the value. The one I, the one I write is free, but anyway, um, uh, anyway, carry on. But anyway, uh, you had talked here, one of the articles that you had written, you wondered when, uh, you know, when interest rates were finally going to start to rise. And I think this is one of the biggest issues because the enormous amount of debt that we have on our books, if interest rates even rose back to something like 5%, which was sort of a normal rate uh, in the past, we would be in really big trouble, wouldn't we? And, and so do you, what, what's your sense of this? When, when might we see interest rates start to rise? When might the bond vigilantes take over again? This is the question I'm forever asking. And the fact is, Jay, um, you know, it's an artificial market. Government is 
printing the money to buy its own debt. It's an artificial market, and and an artificial another word for an artificial market is a bubble. So they've created a bubble. But you know, the, the famous quote is that the market can stay uh, irrational a lot longer than you can stay solvent. Uh, but the fact is, and you know, there's always of reversion to the mean. The market has a habit of correcting uh, excessive. But these things can just go on for ages. And um, I thought this was all going to was all unraveling in 2008. And somehow it, it, they managed to keep the whole thing going. And um, it's 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 really frustrating because we all kind of know what needs to happen. But but um, the dance continues, and I mean that that is that really is the million dollar question: When is the government bond market going to implode? And um, because you know my sources are telling me there's so much money sitting on the sidelines waiting to short government bonds, and um, you know there's this huge long. The, the problem is every time there's weakness in the stock market, government bonds rally, and the, you know the weakness in the stock market we've seen in the last few days. Since Obama was elected, government bonds have rallied, and, and um, you know, I don't know, I don't know when it's going to end. I, I, that, it, that really, if you can time that, you know, that's that's the great trade of the coming years. That's the shorting financial stocks of the of the second half of the um, noughties. That you know, that's the next big trade is 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 the implosion of the government bond market. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that, Dominic, because I think if there is one last major bubble that's out there it's the debt market the the uh, government bond market but yet here in new york city this morning i'm listening to a gary Schilling, a very well-known economist here in in the states uh, on bloomberg uh, radio and he's talking about how he's continuing to remain a bull on uh, on the long dated us treasuries and he gives his reasons and he says we are in an age of deleveraging and until this uh, until this deleveraging takes place, he thinks there's going to be less than you know less than stellar growth in the Western world. We're going to continue to see high unemployment, and he believes the problems we're having now will continue on for some time. He, of course, is not on the other side of the trade, uh, believing that we're going to have inflation or hyperinflation. He's he's well known for his deflationary views. Uh, we've got a few more minutes before we have to take our first break, but that leads me to a question I'd like to ask you with respect to inflation or deflation. We certainly see. Uh, the natural forces of the market, this debt that you talk about, and I, I honestly believe there, that we have bumped that limit of debt that we cannot pay anymore, uh, uh, unless there's just you know printing press money keeps coming at us. But um, th- this is the big question in my mind, Dominic, is which, how does this pathology, this global economic pathology, get worked out? Does it get worked out through a, a hyperinflationary uh, Im- explosion, as James Turk and, and a lot of Ron Paul and a lot of other people we've had on this show believe? Or uh, could some of the other people, like Robert Prachter, Ian Gordon, and some of these people, uh, A. Gary Schilling, a more mild version of deflation, could they be right? I mean, which way do you well, think the- it's going to go? Oh. You know, when I listen to a really uh, one of the blogs I follow is Mish, and uh, Mish's blog, uh, Global Economic Analysis, I just think is excellent, and I think Mish is right on it. And Mish is a keen deflationist. And um, but the big problem with this whole inflation deflation debate, and 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 is is what is your definition of uh, uh, deflation? Inflation. inflation. Yeah. You know, people, it means different things to different people. Now, but the, the basic force is, as you say, we have a natural deleveraging. There is a natural force of deflation, which is being kind of balanced out by the artificial forces of inflation, which are coming through quantitative easing. And the, this is leading to, it's leading to economic distortions. It's de- leading to distortions in the marketplace. 
But um, so, it, you know, it depends on your definition. But, mm-hmm. you know, I see rising prices in certain sectors and I see uh, falling prices in other sectors. But I also see these, we get these kind of phases of, we get an, uh, a speculative, speculative phase and everyone's, everyone piles into a certain trade so you get a little bout of inflation and then suddenly everyone panics and they're out of it and into government bonds and you get a kind of phase of deflation and, and you get these kind of manic cycles and over a period of five years, you know, if you look at the stock market over the period of five years, it hasn't gone anywhere, but no. there's been huge volatility on the way as, as, as we've had a big inflationary cycle, a big deflationary cycle. And so the answer to your question, you know, which are we going to see, inflation or deflation, is, is it's almost as though the terms aren't there to define what we're going through yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of crazy inflation or madflation or something. Yeah. But, you know, the, the point is we're seeing both. And um, both, and it, and I think John Rubino put it like this: We're going to see what happens when when the, the, the government, the massive forces of government printing, come against the wall of deleveraging. And you know, it, this is an ongoing thing. And ongoing, and the secret is just to maintain your purchasing power. And, and that's why I like gold because it seems to it seems to benefit in both an inflation or a deflationary cycle. In that during a deflationary phase it outperforms other assets on the downside. In other words, it doesn't fall as much. And in an inflationary phase, it, it does very well as it's, as it's doing at the moment. It looks like gold's off on another one of its runs. Yeah, indeed it does. Uh, gold has held up extremely well. And one of the things, uh, Dominic, that I think people aren't completely aware of, you know, they, they're always watching gold in terms of, uh, say, the pound sterling price of gold, or in our case here in the U.S., the, the dollar price of gold. What you need to do is look at gold in terms of the stock market, in terms of a whole basket of other things. And I watched the Rogers Raw Materials Fund, and it has gone it has gone up magnificently since uh, since 2008, before Lehman Brothers, from about 17 percent uh, an ounce of gold would have purchased of that basket of the Rogers Raw Materials Fund to over 44 percent. It got up to high, as high as 49 percent recently, so it's 40. 47% at the end of last week. The point is that gold yeah, the, held, just as you're saying, it's held its purchasing power. Not only held it, it's grown relative to a basket of commodities. So, I, to so me, doubt, that is... I was just going to say, the doubt of gold and the doubt of S&P both look like they're ready to make another move in gold, gold's favor. Okay, well, I, we do have to take a break right now. And when we come back, I want to ask you about some of your predictions on, on gold. I know that you've written something recently in Money Week about gold. Uh, and so uh, let's come back and talk about that. Are you able to stay with me a little longer, Dominic? Yeah, with pleasure, Jay. Okay, I'll be right back. Folks, don't go away. We'll be right back after the break with Dominic Frisbee. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. 
Attention mining investors, Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil, surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil, led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001.